chapter 7 today, uh, as we just come on the heels of Thanksgiving, and we're in that transition from Thanksgiving to Christmas, I kind of wanted to put a cap on uh, Thanksgiving. Um, I wasn't sure what to call, uh, title this message. I, I just settled on the fruit of Thanksgiving, but uh, this scripture in Luke chapter 7, we're going to cover 36, verses 36 to f- verse 50, is about a sinner woman, a Pharisee, and Jesus. And I, as we go through this story, I want you to put yourself into it. You know, I want you to let the Lord speak to you and, and, and somehow personalize it. Maybe there's someone in this story you can relate to. Maybe you can identify with the issue here. Maybe it'll take some of us back. When the Lord brought us out of the, the mire and the muck and the filth of our lives, and the Lord went into our darkness and shined the light of his salvation on us, Right? And sometimes that's so far in the, in the rearview mirror, we kind of take it for granted. And the power of that moment of our salvation has waned. And we're just going through the motions. I pray that the word of God speaks to you and, and refreshes your first love. Reminds you what you have to be, to be thankful for. So, the fruit of Thanksgiving is what I titled it for better or for worse. And verse 36 reads, one of the Pharisees asked him, him being Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now, we know the conflict that existed between Jesus and the Pharisees. Apparently, it hadn't come to a full head yet. Um, So before we go further into this story, let me highlight a couple of things concerning Jesus and the Pharisees. Uh, Earlier in this chapter, verses 29 and 30 to be exact, we learned that the Pharisees rejected the will of God for themselves. They rejected the will of God for themselves concerning the baptism of John and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also learn in verses 33 and 34 about the critical spirit the Pharisees had toward John the Baptist and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They said John had a demon. We don't have to listen to him. He didn't hang out with tax collectors and sinners. As a matter of fact, he was as hard on them as the Pharisees were. He didn't drink anything. He didn't fellowship with people. He was a hard person to get close to and to get to know. All he cared was being the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And he was as straight as an arrow and he called it how he saw it and he didn't care how you felt about it, whether you were Royalty or a commoner? And they said, uh, he's got a demon. 
But then Jesus comes, and they accuse Jesus of being a glutton, a wine-bibber. Honestly, I have no idea what that is. I don't know if you drink wine while you have a bib on or whatever. But they accuse him of being a glutton. They accused him of being a wine-bibber. They accused him of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And they didn't mean that in a good way. That's what a critical spirit can do to you, right? Think about it. All John came to do was to preach repentance. Repent. Get your heart right before God. Oh, he's got a demon. We don't have to listen to him. He's, he's awkward and rude. Forget him. Those same people, Jesus comes and he's totally different than John in his approach. And they find new excuses not to listen to him. See, a critical spirit would look for any reason to criticize. A critical spirit will look for any excuse to reject what you have to say. Let's not have critical spirits. But this is part of that backstory that I'm, I'm, I'm doing this to, to really paint the picture, to set the scene of what our main character is walking into when she walks into this man's house. Because he's a member of the Pharisees. They're critical spirits. And despite the mean-spirited accusations against him, verse 1 tells us Jesus accepted a Pharisee's dinner invitation at his house. Isn't it awesome that Jesus doesn't get in his feelings? That he doesn't take things personal and, 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 and get back at us. You know, he doesn't fight fire with fire. These same people who accused him of being a wine-bibber, a glutton, a lover of tax collectors and, and, and sinners, one of them invites him into his house, and he says, yeah, I'll come and fellowship with you. This proves that Jesus harbored no hate or animosity toward the group of religious leaders who tried to use their power and influence to ruin his reputation. That's, that's the heart of our God. That's who we represent. And that's what we need to be representing in the world that we're called to live in. It's easy to fight fire with fire. It's easy to fight snark with snark. It's, it's, it's easy to get in our feelings and do what the flesh wants to do. But when we do that, we're not representing the team. We're not representing the kingdom team. We're representing our own selfish desires. So everything is going fine. He's in the he's in the Pharisees' home. Everything is going fine. The Pharisees believe that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It might be hanging in the air. But they're not leaning into that. That's not why they're there. It's not a point of contention at all. Until. Everybody say until. It's not a point of contention at all until a sinner woman enters the scene. 
and makes it so. So, Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table in verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, I have to commend this woman's courage. I want to point it out because I want you to commend her courage as well. I just set the scene to let you know that the Pharisees had hostile attitudes towards people like her. If you were a tax collector or a sinner, you better not try to strike up a conversation with the Pharisee. This woman didn't strike up a conversation but she walked into this man's house uninvited. Now, I probably don't have to tell you how badly that could have gone for her. Now, obviously she wasn't, when I read this text, she wasn't just your average sinner. She has quite the reputation. As soon as she walks in, the Pharisee recognized her. He, 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 the, the, the way he spoke lets you know this woman's story was well known. He didn't say, I don't even know this strange woman. Why is she in my house? He's like, man, if he was really a prophet, he'd know what this woman is about. He'd know her heart. He'd know how wicked she is. This is a sinner. So she entered the house of a Pharisee knowing full well the power and influence they had and the hostile attitude they had towards tax collectors and sinners. She doesn't look at the Pharisee or anybody else. She doesn't say a word to the Pharisee because she's not there to make a statement. She's not there to rile him up. She's not there to offend him. The only reason she's there is she heard Jesus would be there. And she enters that house for no other reason than to be in his presence. For no other reason than to dote on him. For no other reason than to make a fuss about Jesus. For no other reason than to express her gratitude, her thanks to Jesus. I get the impression that, that there was something, that, that, that she had an encounter with Jesus and, uh, or, or heard the word, and, and, and she already knows. She's already had a change of heart. She's already a changed woman. She wants to thank Jesus 
that she is not where she used to be. And she doesn't know when she's going to get the chance next. She found out where he was. He was close enough. And nothing was going to stop her from going into wherever he was and expressing her thanks to Jesus. I wish that we are all, that we all become so motivated, so inspired. And our giving of thanks to Jesus. And it doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter when. It doesn't even matter how. Jesus is worthy of all the praise I can give him. All the thanksgiving I could give him. He's worthy of it. And I will give it to him no matter what. Amen? She's not there to offend the Pharisees. She's there to thank Jesus. The Pharisee just happens to be there. But I don't think it's by happenstance. I don't think it caught Jesus by surprise. I think Jesus knew it when he accepted the invitation. Jesus had a statement to make. Sometimes, hey, you invite Jesus into your heart, you may get more than what you bargained for. But it won't be to your detriment. It'll be to your good and your blessing. But that's her motivation. She's there for Jesus. If Jesus never showed up, she wouldn't be in that man's house. But despite his power and influence to wreak all kinds of havoc in her life, because he could have had her arrested, he could have thrown her out, he could have done a lot of harm to her. And yet she risked it all. to kneel at the feet of Jesus and give him everything that she had in the way of offering of thanksgiving. Are you hearing me? Pharisee is watching what's taking place in front of him. And he's a man of God, so his heart melts, right? He's praising God for what's going on in front of him. I didn't hear an amen, so let me, let me look at that again. No, 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 I stand corrected. The Pharisee has a major problem with what's going on. He has a problem with the woman being there, and he has a problem with what the woman is doing. See, sinner women, uh, sinners, tax collectors, the Pharisees so looked down their nose at those people, they wouldn't be caught dead in the presence of them, much less allowing them to touch them. So he's watching an unclean person in his eyes touch all on a man who professes to be a man of God. And it causes him to question the man of God. If he really was a man of God, wouldn't he know? He doesn't say anything out loud, but his critical spirit is working overtime in his mind. Remember, they got critical spirits. John has a demon. Jesus is a wine-bibber, a glutton, a lover of tax collectors and sinners. And as fate would have it, a sinner happens to walk right into the Pharisee's house. And the thing that was unspoken up till now is now front and center. 
Because now one of these sinners has come in, and she's doting all over Jesus. <laughs> and this man, he hasn't said anything out loud, but his mind is working overtime. He even goes so far as to doubt Jesus' status as a prophet. He said, because he said, if he was a prophet. That means he's questioning the legitimacy of if he's a prophet because of what he's observing happen in front of him. If he was a real prophet, he'd have smacked that woman upside the head and told her to get out of here. I'm not condoning that, not advocating that. I'm trying to tell you what the mindset was. Be careful of a critical spirit. Something beautiful is happening in front of this man, but his critical spirit blinds him to it. His judgment against this woman and and people like her in society blinds him. to what's going on right in front of his eyes. He doesn't see a repentant woman. He doesn't see a changed woman. All he can do is see her in light of her history. He cannot see her in other, any other way, in some way other than what he knows of her history. He can't see her heart but he remembers the lifestyle that she's lived up to this point. Jesus already has been labeled a lover of sinners, tax collectors, and here he is confirming the accusations in the mind of this Pharisee. Can you imagine? He questions Jesus' status as a prophet simply because he's allowed this woman to touch him. What kind of sense does that make? Would you just take a moment to think about it and try to be rational and objective? How does your mind go there? I don't believe it would unless you came there with a critical spirit to begin with. Unless you're self-righteous and consider yourself spiritually superior than someone else anyway, right? Then you look for that. You look for things that are basically amount to confirmation bias. Instead of being open and humble for the revelation that God would have you to receive from this wonderful moment. Jesus... The man doesn't say anything out loud, but Jesus, knowing his thoughts, finally broke what probably broke what had to be the awkward silence. You know, not everybody has a poker face. He's sitting there, and we have the benefit of reading what his thoughts were, um, but he's not saying what he's thinking. But you know, a lot of us don't have poker faces. We don't have to tell you we got a problem with what you're doing because our body communicates it. Our countenance communicates it. 
I doubt that he was sitting there with a poker face. I, 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 I suspect it was pretty obvious, the attitude that he had. But Jesus, knowing his thoughts, finally broke the silence. Verse 40, Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender who had two debtors. I'm sorry. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Uh, say that with me. Do you see this woman? Because I want you to see this woman. There may be a woman in your life that you need to see that you're not seeing. There may be a man in your life that you need to see that you're not seeing. Jesus asks, he knows, he knows he sees this woman. He sees her, but Jesus is like, do you see this woman? I don't think he sees her, but he doesn't see her. But he said, do you see this woman? I entered your house. Now, it was customary. that There were certain greetings that were customary. When someone entered your house, right, you had a little basin and water. You, you either washed their feet or gave them the ability to do so themselves. There was a kiss on the cheeks. A greeting. There, there was a, a, an anointing of the head. These, these were expected. These were customary. That's what should have happened, but none of it happened. The Pharisee didn't do any of these things, and Jesus wants to point this out. And he says, do you see this woman right here? This one you're critical of, this one you're walking in judgment of, the one that you consider yourself spiritually superior to, this Woman, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. I didn't even, I'm not saying you didn't wash my feet. You didn't even give me water so I can wash my own feet. You didn't do that, Mr. Critical Spirit. But she has wet my feet with her own tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't give me a kiss on the cheek. This woman won't stop kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, and even Jesus, so see, Jesus isn't ignorant of it, her sins which are many. <laughs> All right, let's not get it twisted here. We're not going to act like the, you know, that, that uh, she was treated worse than what her reputation was. Her reputation was one of a sinner. Her sins, even Jesus said, this woman got many sins. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus.
for she loved much. The way this is worded in the King James, way it's worded in the ESV, it makes it seem like her sins are forgiven because of her love. But the way it really should be read is this woman is showing so much love because she's been forgiven. This, what you're seeing from this woman is a display of thanksgiving, a display of love, a display of gratitude because she has been forgiven for a lot and she's grateful for it. She knows what she was before and she knows what she knows the amazing grace that she has received. Amen. And she is so thankful that she's willing to brave the hostility of a Pharisee to express her thanksgiving to God. I hope you're hearing me today. Because this woman is an example for us all. You know, she's doing this pre-cross. What a revelation she was given in her heart about the forgiveness of Jesus. He ain't even going to the cross yet. And she recognizes that in him and by him, she's forgiven. See, the parable that we just read, (laughs) I don't even know if the Pharisee recognized it or not, but Jesus, the parable he told identifies the Pharisee as a sinner as well as the woman. Because the two people in the story, maybe she might have been the one that owed 50 denarii, but he, he, he still, he may have owed less, but he still was a debtor. He owed five. So he was in the same boat as she was in. But the judgment, the critical spirit in him, he doesn't see it. He doesn't notice it. He actually thinks he's good. When really he's under the same judgment that he sees her under. Come on now. Let's not act like that. Let's not, let's not be so critical as we look at people, let's not be so critical that we realize that there but for the grace, that we fail to realize that there but for the grace of God go I. Right? We're not in a position to look down our nose at anybody because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was his love that saved us. Right? And if it wasn't for his mercy, his grace, what he was willing to do in dying on the cross for our sins, we would still stand condemned. And that's why Paul says it's not of works. It's by grace through faith, not of works lest anyone should boast, right? So those of us who enjoy the salvation of the Lord, let's not forget or let our hearts get cold and we get into a critical spirit mindset that makes us forget the grace in which we stand. We didn't earn this. And we're in no position to stand from a position of salvation and look out at those who are still walking in darkness and bondage to sin, right, As and look down our nose at them. What we should be doing is welling up with hearts of compassion toward them because we know apart from Christ what their end will be. And we know 
how it would grieve the heart of God if they meet their end apart from him. Because it's an eternal consequence at that point. And God wants all who will to be saved, right? So he's called you and I to be fishers of men, right? So we got to be thinking about what lure we want to use, right? Valerie is going to be heading up the outreach and everything. Part of that, hey, we got to be thinking about, hey, what's the best lure for the people that we're going out here to meet? Right? What's the best tackle? What's all this? We, we need to be thinking about how we can reach the lost. How we can reach the unchurched. Not just sitting in judgment of them. Because there is one who judges and neither one of us is sitting on that throne. And I'm not saying, hey, speak the truth. The truth is the truth, and we shouldn't shy away from the truth. But you know what? Let's lead with the gospel. So, like I said, the Pharisee doesn't know it, but he's identified as a sinner in this parable as well. And as a debtor to God's judgment, he had as much need of the grace of God in Christ as that woman he was critical of. And yet, he's blind to it. How much are we blind to? When we're operating in a critical spirit, how much are we blind to? When we're standing in judgment. This woman recognizes Christ for who he is. And he's changed her life. The change has been recent enough that she hasn't had a chance to prove it yet. You know, people got to prove it to us. It's recent enough that she hasn't had a chance to prove it yet, but it's no less real. She knows it, and Jesus knows it. She's not what she used to be. You never know what God has done in someone's heart. Let's not engage in confirmation bias or criticalness. Let's be open and soft. It's like, okay, God, have you, are you doing a work? Have you done a work here that I know not of? I know you love her. Her sins are many, but she's not beyond redemption. Her sins are many, but she's not beyond the love of Christ. Her sins are many, but God still loves her. and Salvation still belongs to her in Christ Jesus. Amen? She got that message. And the hope that that message gave her led to a change in her, in her heart change in her lifestyle. You know, their past has a way of lingering. I 
I was still identified by some of my past behavior years after I ceased to engage in that behavior anymore. Because a lot of people, they, they hadn't been on this walk with me. Last, they knew I was a different dude. <laughs> and why would they think anything different? So sometimes, you know, just because How do I want to phrase this? You know, we got to be careful about judging people by their past deeds. Because if we're so focused on that, we could be missed what God is doing now. Simon, do you see this woman? Simon thought that Jesus was the one who couldn't see this woman for what she really was. Are you hearing me? Remember the thoughts in his head? Oh, he knew what kind of woman this was. I mean, I'm doubting that he's a prophet if he can't tell what this woman's about. He thought Jesus couldn't see who this woman really was. His thought was, doesn't Jesus see this, that this is a sinner woman? Doting all over him. But Jesus flipped the script, as they say. He turned it back on him and says, do you see this woman? There's some things I want you to look at her. I know what he says here about, and it's a comparison to what Simon didn't do and what she did do. But he wants, look at her devotion to Jesus. Look at her gratitude. Look at her humility. Look at her worship. Do you see her? See, he's seeing it play out, but he's not seeing the significance or the preciousness of it because he's seeing her through the prism of her history. Jesus is telling him what he sees. And then after saying that, he turns to the woman in verse 48, and he says to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table, so it wasn't just the Pharisee and Jesus at the table. There were multiple people at the table. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, go go here with me. I believe this woman was there because of what had already occurred. But I believe what occurred, occurred privately. Jesus is affirming her publicly. 
just like he did with Zacchaeus. He could have whispered in his ear, I'm going to come and dine with you, but he said it in front of everybody. A tax collector. This woman isn't doing this trying to earn something. She is doing this because he's already touched her life. And she comes in with such thanksgiving. She comes in with such humble gratitude and worship of Jesus. Jesus honors her in front of the Pharisee. He's not trying to hide it. I'm going to tell you, in front of a guy who represents the religious order, the religious leaders who are hostile towards you, that your history is canceled in the eyes of God. He has forgiven your history. He's forgiven your sins. I want this man to know. I want these men all present to know you are forgiven. Your sins, I said earlier, there are many. Every one of them are forgiven. I hope you've done as I've asked you to to personalize this, whether you identify as the many sin woman. Or if you feel like one of the unnamed spectators in this story. Or maybe you feel like Simon. I'm hoping God gets a hold of your heart today, Simon. Because I don't want you to miss the beauty of what God is doing. While you're stewing in your critical spirit. It's not about works. God's redemption is available to all, and God can save any and all of us to the utmost. The greater the sin, you know, she had many, but the, the, the more beautiful the salvation. That may have been inartfully said, but, you know, those whom God has really brought out of a mess, particularly those that were of their own making, boy, you don't have to tell those people to thank Jesus. Even when things aren't going well in life, they're going to be thankful to Jesus because they remember, they remember the Egypt he brought them out of. It doesn't mean you have to have a horrific history in order for your redemption story to be powerful and impactful, right? It, every redemption story is beautiful. If you grew up in a Christian home and, 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 you know, and, and you've lived a life ever since you can remember trying to honor God and you didn't get off into a lot of things, Don't you think that you don't have a relevant story? Don't you think, you know, don't dare think that you don't have a testimony worth sharing. Your story is just as powerful in its own way. It's just as powerful as someone who's been brought out of the muck and mire 
of filth and, 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 and trauma and, and abuse and all these other things. Your story is needed. Because your story is a testimony also of those who have given their lives to the Lord and endeavored to raise their kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And if they are benefiting from the fruit of that, well then, let that testimony be shared for hope, to give hope to others who are just now embarking on that road. Are you hearing me? You don't have to have a woe-be-gone story in order for God to get the glory in your life. But I hope this woman's story both encourages and inspires us to up our passion, to up our game when it comes to our gratitude and worship of the Lord. I'll finish up this passage by saying Jesus demonstrates here that he is indeed a friend of sinners. Just not in the way that the Pharisees implied. See, the Pharisees implied that, dude, he just hangs out with them. He's not there. He, he identifies with them. He just wants to be one of them. He gets drunk with them. He overeats with them. He's just one of them. No, he didn't. Jesus didn't come to sit in the pit with sinners. He came to give them a way out. He's a friend in that he wants their deliverance, their freedom. He wants to make them whole again. He wants to heal them. Of course, he's a friend of ours. Wasn't he a friend? when he died on the cross for our sins? Second Corinthians 2.14 says, but, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. You know in this story, the one sense that we can't partake in is the sense of smell. She goes into this place and she's washing his feet with her tears and drying him with her hair, but she's also got this ointment, this fragrant ointment. And as she's doting on Jesus, she's sitting there and she's crying. Why is she crying? Well, she's crying because she went from being hopeless to full of hope. She went from being and feeling like a lost cause to knowing that she's precious in the sight of God. And that Jesus, she's one of the ones Jesus came for. So she's tearful. But as she's applying this ointment on him, you can just imagine the fragrance. It's filling the air. Literally filling the air. And in that way, I believe 2 Corinthians 2.14 ought to speak to us that, that 
that, that we ought to be so just as motivated, just as inspired, just as full of zeal to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus in our marriages, in our families, in our homes, in our churches, in our communities. Like the woman who anointed him with this fragrant ointment. Let's change the atmosphere in the areas where we have influence. Let the fragrance of Christ permeate it. Let us be the one applying the fragrance of Jesus. If we will do that, then we are just like this woman in this moment there. We're at Jesus' feet. We're washing his feet with our tears. I can't wipe his feet off with my, my hair, so I'm going to use a sleeve or something. But we're, we're washing his feet with our tears. head bowed, we're just worshiping Jesus with our lives. We're just serving Jesus. We're just letting the fragrance of Jesus fill the nostrils of those that are in the vicinity. Some will consider it a pleasant fragrance and will embrace it. Some won't. That's not on us. It's on us to apply the ointment. It's on us to let the fragrance of Jesus permeate the area. Are you hearing me? The last verse I'll share comes out of Psalm 50, verse 23. It says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me, says the Lord. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies the Lord. Let's glorify the Lord. Would you glorify the Lord with me? Can we give him the thanks that he deserves? As Brittany said, regardless of whether or not we're getting what we want, right? Can we just do it? This woman's reputation hasn't changed in society yet, but everything's changed because she met Jesus. The evidence of her change will eventually be realized in society. But, but it'll be because of what's already happened. So I would encourage you. To be thankful to God always. Remind yourself constantly of what it is that God brought you out of. Attack, if you sense a critical spirit being on you in any way, whether it's against someone you love or someone you don't know, 
do not accept it. That's the leaving of the Pharisees. That comes from a self-righteousness. It sneaks up on you. You don't even know it's there. And God is doing something precious, and you, you don't have the capacity to appreciate it, much less thank God and praise him for it, because you can't see past the criticism. That's one of the reasons we're not having the impact in society that we ought to have. We're looking at society with a critical spirit. When we need to be looking at society through the eyes of Jesus, prayerful, asking God, what he would have us do to save those who would be saved out of that society. Are you hearing me? So let's be in remembrance. You know, it's impossible for us to forget. So what are some of the benefits of this? It's impossible for us to forget the presence of God in our lives if we're constantly thanking God. (laughs) All right? It's it's impossible to take him for granted if we are determined to continue to thank him for what he's done and what he's doing. If we're constantly thanking God, we're more likely to see the potential purpose or, or his purpose in our going through or encountering certain circumstances in life. Right? He's in our presence. He's in our presence. You know, it's impossible for me to look at my circumstances outside of who he is and that there may be a plan and purpose that he has for me going through this. I can't see my circumstances apart from him if I'm constantly thanking him. And finally, I will say it's, it's pretty much impossible to fail to see God as your continued source and sustainer if we're constantly thanking him for the many blessings and for his divine guidance and providence in our lives, right? So, we're constantly turning to him. We are seeing him in our lives, seeing him in our circumstances, and we're acknowledging him all the way. So we can remember, it'll help thanking him constantly helps us remember God's presence, continued presence, daily presence in our lives. Prompts us to look for the purpose of God and whatever he allows us to go through and keeps us mindful that he's the source and sustainer of our lives. We're going to ask you to stand. Father God, I lift up your people today, Lord. You know our hearts. You know our struggles. You know our histories. Father God, 
I lift up every person here who, when they personalize this story, identify themselves with the sinner woman. Be they guy or lady. Maybe they're still carrying the the weight of people's judgments and criticisms for their past deeds. And it may seem like to them that it's impossible for them to be viewed, for him or her to be viewed in light of what God is doing in their lives today, in light of what God has already done. And they keep running head on into that brick wall. Father God, I'm here to let them know in Jesus' name that that they may be feeling like they're running headlong into that brick wall, but that brick wall will break before your head will. Because it is the Lord that fights for you. It is the Lord who has made a way of escape for you. It is the Lord that walks you in procession of triumph. I'm here to encourage you to keep keeping on. Don't be weary in well-doing. Persevere in the things of God and believe God that he is going to stem the tide, that he is going to turn your situation around. That he'll convict the hearts of those whose hearts need to be convicted. He will ask them the question, do you see her? Do you see him? Look at what she's doing. Look at what he's doing now. I know you remember what they used to do, but what are they doing now? Look at the change that God has wrought. And maybe, Father God, there are some that identified with Simon, the Pharisee, and I pray for them as well, Father God. I pray, Father God, that for their conviction, Holy Spirit, that, that there's real repentance happening even right now, that, that, that they realize that they've been missing out. Looking at the person through the critical spirit lens and instead of looking at them through the lens of the salvation of God. And I pray, Father God, that you would minister to their hearts as well and Bring healing into their, into their uh, hearts and, and souls, Father God. Bless them. May we ever be thankful for the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God in our lives. Father, we glorify you today, and may we glorify you all the days of our lives, Father God. Be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I want to